Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, October 1st edition of ATS Radio. I am your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. It is already week five of the college football season. We'll talk about a lot of that and also a lot of week four in the NFL as we go along here. Over at ATS.io, lots of picks and predictions. Uh, We got NBA Finals coverage. We got Bunch of stuff for this weekend in college football and the NFL. Still covering the Major League Baseball playoffs as well. Uh, I like to think that they end when my Indians get knocked out, but that's not really the way that it goes. We're still covering that over at the website. Along with the top sportsbook promotions for this weekend across the United States, we got sportsbook reviews for all of the different operators that are out there. DraftKings, BetMGM, FanDuel, PointsBet, William Hill, all of them that are out there, Bet Rivers. We got all that coverage over at ATS.io for you to check out. And of course, we're on four days a week here on ATS Radio, Mondays with Kyle Hunter, Tuesdays, myself doing the betters box, and also Brian Blessing talking the NFL, Thursdays here with Brad Powers, and then on Fridays, my picks for the Circus Sports Million. I'll talk about those coming up on tomorrow's show. But before we get to that, we've got this Thursday edition of the podcast, and that's with Kyle, or excuse me, with Brad Powers, professional handicapper from bradpowersports.com. Brad, how's it going today, man? It's going well. How are you doing on this fine Thursday? I'm, I've am i been better. Uh, late bad. night last night with the Indians game, just an excruciating way to lose, which I, I guess I probably should have come to expect. But, you know, the, uh, the calendar flips forward here. We're into the month of October, and uh, I'm just going to, you know, drown my sorrows in suburban every night now for the rest of the fall. <laughs> I hear you, man. I, I feel you. At least... Uh... It was a short season to feel that. I mean, you, I don't know what you could have expected this year, to be honest with you. Speaking of not really knowing what to expect, you and I were talking about this before we started recording here with regards to updating our power ratings on a weekly basis. And, you know, we've had some performances at opposite ends of the spectrum for some of these teams. We've seen a lot of volatility in the betting markets for a variety of different reasons. It's never easy to update power ratings because it is an inexact science, but this year with so many external factors, it feels a lot more difficult. Absolutely. A lot more difficult. And and while to me, it's still a starting off point as far as the handicap goes, typically, you know, I put a lot more emphasis to my power ratings than what I have so far in this college football season. If, If it lines off three, four points, I mean, of course, you know, I'll, I'll start diving into finding out why it is that, but, you know, in other instances where it's almost fire immediately, I'm not necessarily the case this year. I, you know, I'm finding myself moving teams up three, four, five points one week, down three, four, five points the next week. I mean, a lot of teams like that. And I, it's just usually, you know, t- obviously a lot of teams haven't played all, you know, three, four games like we normally see this time of year. But usually by the time October rolls around, I'm not adjusting teams two, three, four, five points after each and every game. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've always noticed between you and I that are different with our sets of power ratings. And even though I trust my numbers to a degree, I'm, I'm always going to give you the benefit of the doubt as somebody who I feel like is, is very good you know, at power ratings, at making those adjustments, stuff like that. There will be games, you know, even deeper into the season where I've got, you know, four, five, six points difference. And you generally don't have more than maybe a game or two where you're more than two, two and a half points off from the market. And, you know, when you're two and a half points off, you fire. When I'm two and a half points off, I kind of wait and sort of see where the market winds up going. 
And I think that kind of speaks to what's happening this season where I've had some games this week and last week where I've been several points off the market. The lines have generally moved in my direction, so I'm thankful for that. But it is weird to hear you say that you've had, you know, maybe some games that are four, four and a half, five points off, even I don't want to say this deep into the season because a lot of teams don't have a lot of data points, but still it's tough to make those adjustments. It is. And, you know, where's the consistency at for, for a lot of these teams? You mentioned Kansas State. I mean, you know, a team that, that even their head coach said, I, I don't even know if I could have fielded a team until Friday evening. And then you watch the game, and the first 40 minutes of the game basically plays out as expected. Oklahoma's up three touchdowns, laying four touchdowns, and then boom, bang. I mean, a few turnovers, and you get an outright upset. So uh, inconsistency. And then you look at, like, a Virginia Tech team. Ravaged by COVID, couldn't practice. 20-some players out, including their starting quarterback. Four assistant coaches out, uh, including their defensive coordinator that's replacing a legend this year in Bud Foster. And yet, you know, boom, bang, 10 minutes in the game at 17 nothing Virginia Tech after the line moves five, six points, and I'm on NC State, I'm feeling good. It's just, I, I, you just shrug your shoulders sometimes at some of what's going on right now. It is a challenge. And, and, you know, obviously these players have a lot of things to worry about. You know, I mean, you're not getting that full college athletics experience this year because you're under a lot of strict protocols and, you know, maybe that's having an impact on the players. Maybe, you know, not having to go to class in person at some of these schools, having an impact coaching, obviously having a, a significant impact across the board. It It's tough because, you know, we've talked about this a lot week after week where if you've got value with your numbers relative to the market number, you want to play it because that's what you do to make money here in this business. But as you said, you start kind of second guessing yourself of, why am I so far off from the market? What am I missing? Is there something that I haven't properly accounted for? And I think the one thing that we can rely on, and we talked about several of these on Monday, is the box score study and looking at some of those yeah. misleading scores, looking for regression to the mean, trying to get out in front of some line moves that way. But even still, you know, just the Jekyll and Hyde act for some of these teams is a challenge. Yeah, I mean, box scores are great. So normally I like playing on teams with turnover, you know, to, problems or from the previous game hey that, that led into some misleading finals and i usually find value betting honor against that team the following week but in this year i gotta say like duke a team i mean it turns it over four or five times one game turns right around the next game and turns it over seven times georgia tech with a ton of turnovers each and every game you think there's some value on them and yet they consistently turn it over like that that's something you normally don't see in a typical a football season teams turning over at a rate like that consistently week after week. So that was just a, another instance where, you know, this year's a little bit unique where I normally I'm finding value in the box score uh, with those particular teams. I'm not at least so far. Well, and that's the big question, you know, and, and I've posed this question a few times here on the show. And I think, you know, once again, this is another, um, you know, prototypical week to do it is, you know, we expect things to improve. We expect teams to perform you know, to their expectations. But in this COVID year and with so many things going on, a lot of kids missing practice for one reason or another, stuff like that, I think you do run into this question of how much improvement can we actually expect from one week to the next? And you and I have talked about this a lot already here this morning before we started recording. This Friday night game between Louisiana Tech and BYU, we echoed the same sentiments when we were talking before we started recording here that Kyle Hunter and I did on Monday, 
we have Louisiana Tech and Troy all power rated pretty evenly. Yep. This line is 10 points higher than the line was against Troy last week. And I understand La Tech, you know, short week, you know, going to altitude, stuff like that. Maybe that wasn't factored in enough last week with Troy, but it's not 10 points worth of factoring. But you've got a BYU team here that has looked apart, that has been very impressive, that people feel like they can trust. And this line is high. And I think this line does ultimately come down. But this line is high to you. This line is high to me. It was high to Kyle. I'm sure a lot of other people that do power ratings view this line as being too high. And it hasn't moved down yet. And I think that sort of speaks to maybe the hesitance, you know, maybe the uncertainty that we have. But it's... You know, that's just one game on the slate for this week, but it sort of encapsulates so much of what's going on. Absolutely. I I have my own personal hesitancy. And, you know, typically I'd be firing away Louisiana Tech, bat after bat at plus 24. And and even some 20. I did see some 24 and a halfs, and they were gobbled up immediately on on La Tech. So maybe we're at a point now where, you know, I agree with you. I think it will come down a little bit. Although the, the public's going to get involved on Friday night betting a football game, and they're going to want to lay it with BYU because they just watched them crush a couple of teams. So uh, maybe it just stays. But but I can tell you from, from guys like myself, uh, there is a hesitancy, and I'm, I'm seeing it reflected in the market, and especially this week. I Other than a few games, haven't seen too much line movement, particularly on the side so far this week. Well, and I think it's interesting, too. You know, we talk about the Circa openers, and we talk about, you know, a lot of the closing line value that you've lost because of games that have been canceled. But you've you've hit a lot of those games early in the week. Generally speaking, you've had a lot of success tapping into that market. And you were telling me before we started recording here today that you've played a lot more totals than sides. And I wonder if, you know, either consciously or subconsciously, it just feels like the totals market right now with all the inconsistency that we've already discussed is just an easier market to attack this season. Yeah, I would say at least, you know, obviously I think it's going to hold true in any college football season. Total is going to be a softer market than sides. But usually, you know, when it comes Sunday, I'm firing on a couple of totals that I think are really mispriced in the market. But I really don't do a lot of my totals work until midweek. I love betting on weather. I just don't think the market ever properly accounts for, for weather. So, but, but in this instance, I didn't see a ton of value on the sides. And, again, I'm typically, when it comes to Circle World openers, I'm firing away five, six, eight, ten side bets. And it was not the case this week. It was ten totals and three sides. I bet 13 plays on Circa on Sunday morning, and that was it. And one thing I want to add is with them opening up the limits a little bit, uh, you know, 2K on sides, 1K on totals, uh, market's going to be shaped up a little bit on Sunday. And that's unfortunate for everybody else that isn't betting on Sunday uh, and is waiting until, you know, midweek, game day, whatever. Uh, maybe that's why we haven't seen as much movement uh, so far in the market this week. Th- those things are getting shaped up very early. That's unfortunate for 90-plus percent of the people betting out there. Yeah, that's an excellent point because, you know, when you think about the sports betting market as a whole – there are very few originators out there. There are a lot of copycat sports books yeah. that just see what happens in the market, wait for the market to settle in, then go ahead and post their numbers. And we do still get some movement Monday morning as the West Coast crowd kind of gets going a little bit, as there are more options available with the different sports books. But, you know, it's one of those things where there are so few originators, and, and there are, you know, there's what? You were telling me this before the show. 
those lines that open up at Circa are maybe there 30 seconds to a minute. Everyone's just kind of preying yeah. on numbers that they expect to open, you know, off market from where they feel they should be. And that's the one thing about this business. And look, I, I will always tell people that getting line value is important. I will always tell people that beating the close is very important. But when you hear these people sit there and proselytize to you, get the best number. One person, maybe two in the entire yeah. world, sometimes get the best number on that game. So it's about getting the best number that you can. Yes. Don't settle for the close. Try to read the market the correct way because, you know, like you said, I mean, the market now is being shaped effectively by one sports book that opens globally at Circus Sports, and then other books will kind of maybe shade a little bit towards what they expect to need. But yeah. everyone's just going to copy those numbers, and then we'll see what happens throughout the week. But it, it is tough to get you know what is perceived to be line value out there nowadays. Absolutely. And I, I want to emphasize what you said. Get the absolute best number that you can, whether that's you know shopping around on game day, having a, a bunch of different choices i mean that that's the, the the easiest way to get the best number is to have multiple outs i mean what no matter if you're betting on monday or you're betting on game day uh, on saturday or sunday uh for college and the nfl that's the best way to get the best number but if you are able to bet earlier in the week having multiple outs and understanding where the market is gonna go i think i mean certainly i can give you out a bunch of picks i can win a bunch one year lose a bunch one, uh, another year but i think that is so uh, that is probably the strongest point I could ever make. And, you, you know, getting the best number that you can and identifying and reading the market and having multiple outs. If you want to become a winning better, that's probably the, the secret to it all. But the unfortunate thing is uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot tougher to get those numbers. If you got books like Circa and I'm happy that they do it, but problem is it's good for me. It's not necessarily good for everybody else. Yeah, but th that is an excellent point. Having multiple outs. And it is something like, that I talk about a lot over at ATS.io and, one of the reasons why we have all the sportsbook reviews of all the different places that are out there, half points matter. Five yeah. cents worth of juice matters. It all helps your bottom line. And I know people say, well, there's no value on a losing bet and this and that. But the best indicator that we have of future success is getting the best of the number. It's getting out there, reading the market properly, and giving yourself the best possible chance. Because the fact of the matter is that all we can control is the number that we get. Whatever yeah. happens during that game, we're not playing. You know, we're not out there. We're not making decisions. We're not calling plays. All you can control is getting the best possible number and having multiple sports books, multiple outs, as they say, is definitely an important part of the process. But, you know, that that's something that I, I think a lot of people just have such a hard time grasping is, you know, and, and I saw this, somebody shared, uh, I think it was Andy Molitor at Andy MSFW on Twitter. He's a very good follow. But he shared an article from uh, Pinnacle, one of the you know global offshore sports books, that said, you know, look, having sports knowledge doesn't necessarily help you when it comes to betting. It, it's the market that you have to understand. Yeah. And that's something I think a lot of recreational bettors just don't really grasp, especially in this new frontier of legal U.S. sports betting. And that's why I've always tried to focus a lot on those types of things with my content, with the discussions that we've had here. And you know, I just I, I hope as this continues to grow and as it's got more mainstream coverage that, you know, some of the people out there that have the big platforms focus on these things, too. I would hope that's the case, but <laughs> I don't think we're trying in that direction, uh, Adam. It's all about picks and all about perceived 
winners and not necessarily about the value. I mean, that's just the world we're going to be living in, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, speaking of value here, a few games we want to talk about on the Week 5 college football card. We will have a few highlight videos coming up for you here. But game 107-108, Brad, is a game that's starting to light up on the board here, a game I'm kind of watching pretty closely because I am a Gamecocks fan by marriage. South Carolina takes on Florida here, and this number was 18, and now we're starting to see a little bit of that South Carolina money leak into the market with a drop down to 17 and a half. We're not talking about key numbers in the double-digit range, but we're starting to see that Gamecocks money show up a little bit. I agree with that. Number, pure number for me, 16 and a half. Uh, obviously, Florida looked very impressive offensively last week. I mean, I'm, again, I'll say it and I'll die on this hill, but I'm not a huge Kyle Trask fan. Although he looked the part last week, but I think the guy that looked the part was a tight end he was throwing it to Kyle Pitts. It was just a matchup nightmare for anybody pretty much in college football. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, South Carolina lost the game against Tennessee, but I I came away pretty much played out to expectation uh, expectation as far as the line goes. But I came away impressed, especially offensively. I, I thought they were more than adequate. I mean, they looked like they had a pretty solid game plan. Got got a great guy in Shai Smith at wide receiver. Again, early start, laying a big number with a Florida defense that did give up six hundred plus yards against Ole Miss and. Easily could have given up the back door there. I'm not saying South Carolina's offense is as good as Ole Miss, but I think their defense is better than Ole Miss's. Therefore, I mean, I'm going to bet the Gamecocks here anything above 17. Well, so look at the total for this one. 57, the prevailing number out there, seeing some 57 and a halves. And this total feels like a little bit of a function of last week's Florida game and also the South Carolina game because we talked about it on the show last week and we did a highlight video on Monday last week where we talked about betting the under. It was under 48 at the time. Under came down to, what, 44, 44 and a half for that game? And it flew over the total, but it was one where there was a lot of under money, and the game went over. Florida and Ole Miss, tons of points, tons of yards in that one. 57, 57 and a half is probably a little bit high here for this total. But, you know, again, as we talked about in the open for today's show, there's so much inconsistency offensively, defensively, maybe the tackling is just bad in college football right now, stuff like that. I'm not going to step in front of it, and it has gone up a little bit, but those are some overreactions you want to keep an eye on as we get more of these SEC data points. Absolutely. I thought the total, the opener was low. I bet it. That was one of the circuit totals bets that I made was over. I think it's 53 and a half. I went over. I made the line 57. That's where it's at now as far as the totals uh, goes, but I mean, so again, it's, it's just so one, it's not an overreaction. It's just a good adjustment. I think it's just a good adjustment. I don't think it's okay. an overreaction. Uh, I mean, overreaction would push it to 60. That would be the overreaction. Maybe we'll see that from the public. Oh, I mean, I just watched Florida put up, you know, a game of 86 points. And boy, South Carolina, Tennessee was at 58. I mean, boy, do the math there. This total should be in the 60s. But over. I mean, that'll be the adjustment maybe on, on Saturday. But right now, I think it's a proper adju- adjustment at the current number. Did you notice anything tempo-wise with either team last week that, you know, maybe they're playing a little bit faster? No, I didn't tempo-wise, but I thought both were pretty efficient offensively. That that was a surprise for me, how efficient they were with limited practice time and everything that was going on. That was, Especially South Carolina with a brand-new offensive coordinator and a different scheme, they looked awfully efficient to me, and I, it was nothing fluky, really, but as far as them getting some yards against a, a pretty good Tennessee 
uh, defense. I guess the most shocking thing to me was how inept Florida's defense was, but maybe chalk it up to Ole Miss is going to be good offensively this year. And, you know, Lane Kiffin had, had a pretty good solid game plan there. Let's stay in the SEC for a minute. Talk about game 115-116 here. Missouri takes on Tennessee. This one's gone up a little bit. Tennessee opened in the 10 range. They're now up to 12, 12 and a half, starting to pop. Even a rogue 13 out there in the marketplace at some places. And these are always interesting games to me. We talked about this last week uh, with regards to the Texans, where I wound up taking the Texans against Pittsburgh because I'm like, look, they played Baltimore and Kansas City. Like, Pittsburgh's a good team. Defensively, they're good. But this is a step down for Houston. They played a good first half. I got Bill O'Brien in the second half. Missouri played Alabama last week. Obviously, a very, very good team. Number one or number two in pretty much everybody's power ratings. Tennessee played a South Carolina team that I think a lot of people feel is kind of middle of the road. And they you know, had a pick six. They won that game by four. As you said, kind of played to the expectation, at least from a side standpoint, do you agree with this Tennessee line going up? I had a 10 and a half. So, I mean, 10, 11, fine with me. With it going up now, I, mean, I don't. I'm not anxious to bet Tennessee. I certainly uh, don't want a Tennessee ticket right now. I, if anything, if it goes to 13, I'd lean Missouri. And, and reason is specifically what I saw last week. And what I saw was no waving the white flag for Eli Drinkwitz. It was using all three of my timeouts on the final drive against Alabama, going down the field, uh, getting that final score. I mean, that was competing for a whole 60 minutes here. And, and I I thought both of their quarterbacks looked okay considering they're playing a top-five defense in the country in Alabama. So uh, I, I just like the fight that they showed last week. So, I, again, I, I don't understand the, the move here towards uh, Tennessee. That's an excellent point about Drinkwitz and about, you know, playing it out. And, and, and especially, too, in a game where – I mean, look, these kids aren't idiots. I'm sure they say all the right things before games, but, you know, you're probably not beating Alabama. You know, you're probably not beating Alabama, especially in the season opener, but using timeouts, playing it out. I think that sends a really positive message to your team, especially as a first-year head coach. So while all of us think Tennessee will be better this year because Jeremy Pruitt's done a fantastic job recruiting there, they started to put something together at the end of last season, I, I think that, you know, this may be a spot where, there could come a point, and it's probably Saturday you know, morning with an early kickoff here in Knoxville, that maybe Missouri is the value side. And you know, those are sometimes the tough bets that you have to take instead of you know going with that wisdom of crowds mentality. Absolutely. What I did take, I, this is another over, I bet. I thought too low opener at, at circle was like 44, went over. Uh, again, I thought both offenses overachieved. And again, a little bit of, there was one fluky score, and you mentioned in Tennessee, South Carolina, but again, I, the, the Missouri fighting, clawing, and scratching until the bitter end, I, I thought 44 was, was too low for an opener. I mean, they're treating some of these SEC games like it's back in, you know, 2005 and not 2020. All right, well, step away from the SEC here for a second. We will come back for a couple of highlight videos here. But I do want to get your thoughts on game 123-124, Oklahoma and Iowa State. Again, another game we talked about on Monday, but one of the things I like to do for any of the new ATS radio listeners out there that didn't transition over from where we were at Bang the Book, I really like to crowdsource opinions and get different thoughts on some of the games, specifically the games that are kind of the marquee matchups here. Oklahoma 7 market-wide, total 63, anywhere from 62.5 to 63.5 for this one. Iowa State, one really ugly data point against Louisiana. 
did come away with the win last week against TCU, but it was kind of a game that was sort of all over the place. Oklahoma, I mean, look, you know, maybe maybe Kansas State is just their kryptonite for one reason or another. Maybe. I mean, I, I chalked it up. More fluke things would happen in the final 20 minutes of the game. First 40 minutes of the game, played to expectation. Oklahoma's up 35-14. Uh, I mean, I'm not even watching the game. I, I'm watching other things that, that are more pertinent to my personal betting and also more competitive. And then boom, bang, went within 15, 20 minutes times. I mean, I moved my my main TV over to that game. And it was all about turnovers, block punts. Uh, I mean, Kansas State certainly in the final four possessions looked like the better team, but I'm not going to overreact to that one when Oklahoma just had some bad turnovers with a young quarterback. To me, the value, the pure power rating is close to the number. I just think Spot says uh, Oklahoma here off a loss. And I tweeted this out earlier in the week. Oklahoma in the regular season hasn't lost back-to-back games since 1999. Bob Stoops' first season, 1999, last time Oklahoma lost back-to-back. I know we're dealing with a seven-point spread here, but 34-0 and straight up, and also against the spread, 23-10-1, covering by nearly double digits per game. I just think it's a good spot for Oklahoma here. I mean, if they close that game out, don't have a couple turnovers against Kansas State, even if they win the game by 14, don't even cover a four-touchdown spread, this line's close to 10. Overreaction, Oklahoma's a play for me. My line is 10 on the game. So I agree with everything that you're saying there. And, and that, that's the thing. You know, Oklahoma was minus four in turnover margin. I mean, Kansas State had 10 first downs and scored 38 points. That just doesn't happen. That's yeah. why box store study can be pretty important here. And I'm not saying that this line move is necessarily you know an overreaction to Oklahoma losing or people ignoring the box score or something like that. There were a lot of people that did like Iowa State coming into the year, that do like Brock Purdy, that do like Matt Campbell, that aren't sure about Spencer Rattler. But to me, I think Oklahoma's the play here. And, uh, you know, I I had other things going on. I didn't catch the six and a halfs that were out there. I hope one comes back. I don't know if it will. uh, But, you know, I, I do like Oklahoma in this spot for sure. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, I've watched a lot of Iowa State uh, football now the last four or five games. Uh, I'm not – I'm I'm jumping off the Matt Campbell and Brock Purdy bandwagon. I mean, I still think they're solid, but I'm not – you know, Matt Campbell I like a little bit more than Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is not getting any better. I think Brock Purdy sucks, actually. I mean, he's okay, but he's not getting any better. I mean, he showed – I mean, a lot of flashes of true freshman – had an okay season last year, but I watched every single play of the Notre Dame game, consistently turned the football over in that one that cost him, just not good enough. And then, I mean, it wasn't good against Louisiana Lafayette. And then last week against TCU, I bet Iowa State, I liked Iowa State a lot in that game. I mean, had one of the worst interceptions, uh, pick sixes in the history of college football. You shouldn't be making that throw as a three-year starter. That's he even admitted it. I mean, kudos for him for admitting it. That's a true freshman mistake in your third game as a starter, not your 30th game as a starter. I mean, I, I it's not getting any better. He's going to have to play out of his mind here to cover the number, in my opinion. Well, and that's the thing about playing Big 12 football is that, look, Iowa State's got a good defense. They regularly have one of the best defenses in this conference, but this is an offense-first conference. So at some point, you got to get offense. And at some point, your quarterback has to develop for you and Purdy hasn't done that. And and you can point to Iowa State losing some skill guys over the last few years, like a Montgomery, like a Butler, stuff like that. But, you know, uh, even a Lazard. But the, the thing of it is, is that you got to get better at the most important position on the yep. field. And Iowa State hasn't done that. And there's only so much you can ask of a defense 
in these conferences where defense isn't really played because everybody loads up on offense. And I think that's the spot that Iowa State's kind of in right now. Yeah, he just he's not getting any better. Uh, and look, he, he he's lost some guys at wide receiver. I'll admit to that, but he's got a stud at running back in Brees Hall. He's got a bunch of tight ends. Got Charlie Kohler back last week against TC. He's one of the better tight ends in the entire country. There's enough there for him to to not look as bad as he has the first couple games of the season. One other game in the Big Twelve, and then we'll do a, a highlight video here for you. But Texas Tech and Kansas State. Kansas State, two-and-a-half-point favorite, total in the 64 range for this one. And I want to get your thoughts on something specific here because one of the things that, you know, I've talked about, but as I've gotten older and matured as a handicapper and all of that, I sort of wonder how much this stuff actually matters. Kansas State is in your prototypical letdown spot. They just beat Oklahoma. They won a game they weren't supposed to win plus four in turnover margin, as we've already discussed, big fourth quarter comeback, all of that. They're in a letdown spot. Texas Tech blows a huge lead to Texas in just epically bad fashion, loses in overtime. So now you wonder about their mindset going into Manhattan for this game. So you've got some spots in play here. How much of your handicap is is predicated on these spots and how much of it is just looking at team A versus team B or, and also your power ratings and determining your pick or, you know, if you're staying off the game because of that. Yeah. Great question. And obviously that, that is a spot here for both teams. Texas tech could be a letdown because they blew a game that they absolutely could have had last week in Kansas state. Obviously the, one of the biggest upsets we'll see in college football all season, I'm guessing, but I queried it. I mean, cause it's the first thing that came to my mind and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was nothing significant. How did teams do after pulling, you know, three touchdown plus outright upsets, how do they do the next week? And again, it was close to 50%. Otherwise I would have put it in my newsletter and wrote it up specifically. Didn't see that, uh, any significance there. Pure power rating for me is four on this game. I, I mean, Kansas state. I mean, I think they're very well coached. Uh, Texas Tech's kind of more up and down as far as I'm concerned. I actually trust more Kansas State and their style of play to be more, you know, ready, you know, even, I should say. Ready. Yeah. So nothing that I bet, but I would certainly, again, just pure power ratings because I think both teams are some questions about their motivation. I would lean towards the Wildcats. Uh, the Chris Kleiman versus Matt Wells thing is is a pretty good conversation too. You know, you, you sort of wonder about these coaches that move up from the group of five level where, I mean, look, you know, Utah State had some very, very good quarterbacks. They had some very good players for that conference. Here at Texas Tech, you know, you're probably what, seventh or eighth on the pecking order relative to the other teams in the conference. So, you know, I mean, that that's something, that's an adjustment period for a lot of these coaches. And I mean, Chris Kleiman, you know, obviously he's got, exceptional talent there at North Dakota state, but he's gone to Kansas state and done what he's supposed to do. And it's worked out really well for him. Yeah. I mean, why eight games last year? I thought he overachieved a, a year ago. And the fact of the matter is beating Oklahoma two years in a row. That's a pretty good feather in your cap. Uh, and, and I thought he inherited a worse situation as far as expectations, having to replace a legend like Bill Snyder, a hall of famer, one of the best, in my opinion, coaches in the history of college football. Than, than, you know, Matt Wells inheriting a losing program where the expectations probably weren't as high coming off of Kingsbury. And it just hasn't been overly a, a great look, at least uh, so far here through, uh, you know, 14 games. 
Well, I think it's a, a really important point is, you know, sort of when, when you talk about you know, evaluating coaches and sort of evaluating the differences between the coaches, it is a big part of the handicap. And I think in particular here this year, like we talked about at the top of the show, where these teams are very inconsistent. I mean, they're kind of all over the place. A lot of it has to do seemingly with preparation, and it always does week in and week out. But there isn't a whole lot of crispness to your offense, to your defense, with the way that all this stuff is set up right now. A lot of it is based on preparation, and, and maybe this is the kind of year, and, and I'm not going to say that, that Kleiman's better than Lincoln Riley or anything like that. Maybe eventually he could be. I don't know if he is right now. But I think that is maybe more of a factor that we need to keep in mind here is, is the coaching as this season goes along. Or you're looking for, you know, the, the, those coaches, the, the, I couldn't get it out, out of my mouth, but uh, there isn't a lot of highs and lows, sort of say. It's just, you know, as is, you know, the, you keep at it each and every week. Maybe that's what you're looking for. You know, who knows? Again, I've never handicapped COVID. I thought there's been some really good opportunities to be had. Some have re- worked out really well. Some haven't. Uh, we're, we're going to learn a hell of a lot more here in the next at least couple of weeks. I don't think we got enough data points to make some strong, you know, pound your fist on the table type of uh, arguments here. But this is one where I, I think the reason it's two and a half is that, you know, general handicap in one-on-one says Kansas State let down. I think people are kind of missing the boat that Texas Tech might have the letdown as well. All right, so we'll do a highlight video breakdown here on our ATS YouTube page of game 143-144, Texas A&M and Alabama. Alabama, 18-point favorite. That's the predominant number out there as we're recording here on Thursday, uh, late morning, early afternoon, Eastern time. Total on this game, 51 and a half. And I encourage everyone to listen to the full editions of ATS Radio because this game is a good segue of what we just talked about, handicapping coaching, handicapping the differences between the coaches. And I think when you look at Texas A&M, and I saw this criticism a lot last week, a lot of people like the personnel for Texas A&M in College Station. They like what they're building in terms of the roster. They don't like how Jimbo Fisher is maximizing it. And you better maximize your talent when you take on Alabama. Yeah, you do. Uh, and look, I was also part of that, you know, pro Texas A&M, at least prior to all, everything that's gone on as far as COVID. But I, if I were to like circle what's your dark horse national title contender, it would have been Texas A&M. The problem is that not only what happened in the game against Vanderbilt last week, which I thought was a horrific look and is being overlooked uh, a little bit in the national media because LSU lost and Oklahoma lost. I mean, to me, the more stunning result would have been A&M losing that game to Vanderbilt. But the the team just didn't have a a lot of juice in that opener. Maybe some of it was expected because Alabama's on deck. Or maybe because, and this is my major biggest concern with A&M right now, is they lost four key projected starters, including their leading receiver, one of their best tacklers, a linebacker in the middle, just opted out. And among a lot of these contending teams in college football, if you look at the top 10, 15 contending teams, there weren't a lot of opt-outs. I mean, certainly there was in the Pac-12 and those you know schools where the, 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 the teams weren't going to play this season. That's understandable. But if you look at the contenders in the SEC, the ACC and whatnot, not a lot of opt-outs. A&M had some opt-outs. To me, what's going on in that program? A team that's expected to at least make a run for it this year and they're opting out, that's not a good look. And what also isn't a good look here, Adam, is 
former Nick Saban assistants against Nick Saban. Nick Saban's never lost against a former assistant. He's 19 and 0. Yeah, and, and he's probably not going to lose this week, certainly as no, the line would imply. The, the thing for Texas A&M is this, and, and this has been a problem for Jimbo Fisher dating back to Florida State, and it was one of the things that really helped lead, I would say, to Florida State's, I'm going to call it a demise, you know, as a, a national power program. The offensive line play has not been good. Yep. It just it has not been good under Jimbo Fisher, regardless of which team he's been coaching for the last several years. And again, if there is one thing that you can ill afford to have against Alabama, it's a bad offensive line because they will eat you alive. So my power ratings on this game are actually a little bit lower than what the market has. I think there could be a slight overreaction to AM's performance against Vanderbilt, maybe trying not to show anything, stuff like that. But the reason why power ratings can't be a be-all, end-all, despite how much we talk about them here, is that the matchup still matters. And the matchup for A&M here in this game does not look good. It's, it's that simple to me. It is. And similar to you, power ratings say A&M's a player. 15 is where I have it. But not only the matchups worry me, but the mindset of Alabama. I don't know if you've heard Saban talk. He is pissed off what happened in that final 10 minutes of the Missouri game last week. I, you know, Saban usually slows things down. He has a, you know, a history of doing that the last 10 years. I, you know, there's a few years there where he had two capable quarterbacks with Hertz and, and Tunga Bailoa that it didn't matter what he was doing offensively. They were just scoring. I think this week, if he has an opportunity to put one on Jimbo, uh, he, there, there's going to be no let up on defense or offense. So again, I could only bet Alabama, even though my numbers disagree with it. Yeah, I got this from 15 and a half. So, you know, I mean, it opened, what, the global opener at Circa was 13 and a half, I think. I didn't get it. I mean, here's a, I didn't even get it. Within two minutes, it was, I, it was down further on the card. I didn't grab it. So that shows you even a guy like me couldn't even get that 13. But still, I guess what I'm saying here is that, you know, you and I fall between the opening number and where the number sits now. And yeah. Again, I think that there are just matchup advantages for Alabama here. I will say this, and it's not just because you and I have lower numbers, but just simply that this is a pretty big number now. I don't know if there's a great opportunity to bet pre-flop on this game, but I think this is a game, much like what we talked about last week when we discussed live betting, if you see that Alabama is doing what they want and A&M can't protect the quarterback, Alabama live is your play here. Yep, totally agree. Uh, again, and, and let me say, I can only look to, towards Alabama right now. I'm not saying that there's value at the current number. I'm just saying my mindset, I don't want, even though my numbers are off three points, I don't want anything to do with A&M. And again, I think this might be one where you see more of the same. I mean, I go back to, yeah, I'm dating myself, but it's four or five years ago. There was a game where, I mean, he just put it on A&M like 59 nothing. I'm not saying it's going to be 59 nothing here, but I, it, Saban's mindset this week, is he's going to want to put one on A&M after what happened against Missouri. So I think live Alabama looks pretty good to me. Well, no consensus pre-flop on this game, but some good handicapping advice and some handicapping tips here from myself, host Adam Burke, and also professional better and handicapper Brad Powers. Subscribe to our ATS YouTube page and make sure you subscribe to ATS Radio as well, which you can get on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you stream and download your podcast content all right with that brad we'll take a little bit of a breather here before we do our next highlight breakdown and 
I want to talk about this old Miss Kentucky game because I know you liked Kentucky last week against Auburn, and quite frankly, <laughs> for the most part in that game, they were the right side, but they ran into turnovers, and Auburn converted the short fields in the fourth quarter. Ole Miss gives up a boatload of yards and points to Florida. Kentucky, five and a half, six point favorite here. Total on the rise, 59 and a half, up to 61 and a half. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, numbers say slightly in Kentucky. You're right. I liked Kentucky quite a bit last week watching it. I mean, they were having their way at the line of scrimmage, just like I thought. And just, I mean, turnovers are. I mean, that is the statistic. I mean, you can give me anything, you know, first downs, yards, rushing, anything. Give me the turnovers. And when you're minus three and you consider that, you know, all turnovers are not actually created equal. You talk about how impactful they were. Two of the turnovers were inside the Auburn red zone, including the interception, uh, whatever happened at the end of the half there, which was a total, I mean, just discombobulation. I mean, I honestly expected some SEC officials to get fired uh, after what happened at the end of the first half in the Kentucky-Auburn game. But besides that, something that's not even in the box score as far as a turnover, a failed fake punt set up Auburn for a 27-yard TD drive. Should have won the game outright. Forget covering the spread. But usually that signifies, hey, value. I want to bet on Kentucky this week. I'm not that anxious. I liked what I saw with Ole Miss. I thought Matt uh, Corral, their quarterback, looked very capable for Ole Miss. I know a lot of people, including myself, like Plumlee, the, who looks like he's the backup now. But Corral looked like he fit in that Lane Kiffin offense really well. It is mobile still, but throwing for nearly 400 yards. I didn't see much value here. If it went to seven, I'd actually bet Ole Miss. All right, we got another highlight video breakdown for you here. Another game from the SEC on this edition of ATS Radio. Take a look at game 153-154, Auburn and Georgia. Six and a half, the prevailing number market-wide. Total of 45 on this game, which I know the Circa opener was very, very low uh, on the Auburn and Georgia game. I know a <laughs> lot of people jumped on that one, piggybacked that number up quite a bit, but uh, let's start with the side here for this game. Georgia, again, six-and-a-half-point favorite. Auburn, you, know, you had some questions about them last week. Do you have those same questions this week going to Athens? I do have the same questions. Uh, again, I thought Kentucky controlled the line of scrimmage. I think Auburn's offensive line will really struggle against this Georgia defense. Uh, you know, I, I thought Bo Nix still played pretty well. They got a stud at wide receiver in Williams that, that, that basically on two third and longs basically four-point plays, snatched the ball uh, on basically 50-50 balls in the end zone to, to get a couple touchdowns. So impressed in that regard. We'll see <laughs> totally different defense here. I, I think Georgia's elite misleading final would normally, to me, Adam, say scream value on Georgia. But Georgia's game was a little bit misleading. I mean, if you looked, if you're following along with live scores, middle of the third quarter, just uh, trailing Arkansas 10-5. to and there was really nothing fluky other than bad quarterback play for Georgia. They put in Stetson Bennett, who I really like. I've seen him play in a couple of spring games. I think he's a gamer. Uh, he's not going to you know, lead you to the national title, but you can win some games in the SEC with him. Uh, and starts, and there's some scoring there, including a defensive return. But now it looks like JT Daniels might play. We're not for certain if he's going to start, how much he's going to play. Kirby Smart's really buttoned up about it this week. So there's question marks there. Uh I bet Auburn plus – I bet two things on this at Circa. I bet Auburn plus eight. Uh, I just – I didn't know about the JT Daniels situation at that point, so I thought eight was too high. 
And then I did bet the over. That was way too low with two teams that are going to run some tempo. And Georgia was running tempo. Even though they weren't efficient, they were running some tempo early in that game against Arkansas. Right now, I mean, six and a half is a tough number. I, I guess I would lean Georgia minus six and a half, even though I have an Auburn plus eight ticket. Number for me is right, right around seven. So I know everybody wants to bet it. It's a game of the week. It's the biggest game we've had in college football this season today. But I don't see at the current numbers too much value, too many question marks, uh, too many questions and answers for me. I do see a little bit of value on Georgia, at least relative right. to my numbers. I've got this one up in double digits. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're grabbing plus eight. You think it's a good numbers grab. It's not necessarily, you know, a strong position on the game for you. It's a numbers grab. You got through a key number with this one going down to six and a half. Again, as we talked about earlier in the show, that's all you can do is get the best yep. of the number that you can. So. I get Georgia minus six and a half. You get Auburn plus eight. And I think both of us are pretty comfortable with the numbers that we have. You know, I don't know which one of us winds up winning the game, but I think under seven, there is some value on this Georgia team. Auburn, you know, you talked about the concerns you had with them last week. You know, you've got, first of all, Bo Nix is fine. I I don't think he's a great quarterback by any means. And I know going on the road is a little bit different now. And Kentucky's got a good defense. I'll give them credit for that. But Georgia is a fast defense. Georgia yep. will play with that tempo. So, you know, they may be able to gas that Auburn defense a little bit. If Auburn doesn't stay on the field, that's how this game probably gets away from them. And they did lose, you know, some key defensive linemen last year in the draft. They lost some other guys on defense due to graduation and other things. I think this is a good situation for Georgia. But again, it speaks to getting the best of the number. Even though we're on opposite sides, we can both respect the positions because you're north of seven. I'm south of seven, and that's all that we can really do, and then see how the game plays out. And let's hope it lands seven. That'd that be good. Happy, yeah, right? I'm happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Auburn Tiger fans. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's definitely true. And, and that's, all, that's all you ever get in the comments for these things, too. You get the hate comments from, uh, oh, from yeah. the team. War Eagle, you idiot. How could you go against – oh, my God. How could you go against Auburn? They're going to kill them. I mean, in, that's SEC fans. In fairness, I mean, I was dead wrong on the Miami-Louisville game earlier, and we took a lot of flack from Miami fans, and they were absolutely right, so I give them credit for that. Uh, but this should be a good one here. I we haven't. Had... The comments are really that bad? I haven't really oh. looked into them yet. No. I get enough they're, bad they're comments bad. on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I don't know why you have a Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the things people say to you. I don't know why you yeah. have a Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's entertaining. Let's just put it that way. Definitely. And it's very entertaining here on our ATS YouTube page as well with this breakdown of Auburn and Georgia. And of course, make sure you subscribe to the full versions of ATS radio, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right. With that, let's transition over to the NFL side of things here, Brad, and something you and I wanted to talk about. It's kind of a general topic before looking at some individual games. Totals are uh, pretty high across the board here this week. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, the average total is like 50, 50 and a half. I got it. I haven't done all the legwork, but I mean, that's got to be historic as far as the NFL looking at the the average week by week throughout the course of the history of it. But when your average total is 50, 50 and a half, that's pretty significant. It's just not one game, uh, it's multiple games in the mid 50s and teams that you don't even consider to be, you know, pure over teams. You're dealing with a lot of mid 50s numbers obviously scoring has been up in the NFL and there's all these theories. I think a lot of them are right. The penalties, it's getting officiated totally different. I think that plays into it. 
no crowd noise, I think certainly helps the offense. They can hear the the, the audibles and the adjustments and whatnot. Uh, it's not going to – I think a lot of enthusiasm and crowd noise impacts and helps the defense more than it does the offense. That makes sense to me. So, I mean, scoring's up four points per game. And if you've been betting overs blindly, you're winning. I'm not sure you're going to win at the same percentage this week because, to me, the adjustment has been made. These totals, uh, you know, are up four or five points per game on average than what I think we would have saw if these games were played week one. I mean, I'm not going and saying, hey, there's a lot of value on the under, and I'm not betting a ton of unders this week. But if you're looking to bet a lot of overs, I just want to make this point. You are now paying a premium on that over, or at least it's certainly much better represented in the marketplace. Well, another good point from Kyle Hunter on Monday was he mentioned that the pace, the tempo of the NFL has gotten a good bit quicker for this season, Mm. too. Teams are moving a little bit faster here this year, and I can't really confirm this, and maybe this is something I should have looked up before I say this because, you know, there's uh, there's nothing quite like being wrong in front of several thousand people. But the thing I was kind of thinking about is that maybe I wonder if third down to go yardage is a little bit lower this year too because it feels like we're getting a lot more usage in the passing game with running backs and tight ends and these shorter passing routes. A lot of the college offensive hallmarks making their way to the NFL now because a lot of quarterbacks can complete those throws. I sort of wonder if we're just in general, you know, getting fewer of those third and long situations because quarterbacks aren't having as many incompletions, taking deep shots or, you know, whatever else. Seems like we're finding more mismatches of running backs against safeties, running backs against linebackers, stuff like that, to where teams are just kind of consistently moving forward a lot more than they used to with, you know, incomplete passes or, you know, runs for stops behind the line of scrimmage, stuff like that. And also, to piggyback off of that, you know, I don't follow it like some people do, but the guys that do follow the analytics say it's playing a lot more uh, into the NFL. Maybe not all the teams, but a lot more teams are embracing the analytics going forward uh, on fourth down and whatnot. We're seeing more of that, and obviously that leads to more efficiency and more scoring. So all the above on why the NFL scoring's up, uh, and I'll tell you, if it continues, if I mean, the overs turn around and go like 10 and 6 or 11 and 5 this week, I, we're going to see some totals in the 60s? I think we probably will. And that's an excellent point about teams being more aggressive, too, because even if they don't get it, we're talking about situations where teams used to punt. So that's 20, yep. 25, 30 yards worth of field position with that change of possession. So that's an excellent point that you mentioned there, too. And again, it maybe it's something from a live betting standpoint that you can kind of look to take a little bit of advantage of. But we talk about high-scoring games, and tonight we probably won't have one between <laughs> Denver and the Jets. And I hate to do this to you, but we haven't really talked about this game at any other juncture on ATS Radio this week. Jets minus one. Brett Rippon gets the start for Denver. Total 40.5-41 in that range. Uh, what, do, what do you do with what could be a complete <laughs> utter train wreck tonight? I go under. Uh, I mean, I just I can't really bet each side. Obviously, the Jets plus three is a really good bet. I mean, from Utah closing line, we'll see if it wins or not. But I mean, that's one where just missed the boat there. Um, you know, shame on me for not giving that out. Is probably because I was so down on the Jets after their performances the last couple of weeks. But to me, at the current numbers, the only thing I can play shop around bet you know go under forty one. 
I want to ask you about the first game on the board for Sunday here quickly. Indianapolis and Chicago, 251-252. Chicago, you know, steals victory from the jaws of defeat. They go to Nick Foles. Atlanta goes into the prevent defense, which not only prevents them from covering, but winds up preventing <laughs> them from winning the game. Chicago is a, I would say, fraudulent 3-0 team. That probably will upset some people, but... You know, I mean, they, they they've had they've had fourth quarter comebacks in two of their three wins. Detroit was just ravaged by injuries, and then of course, you know, you get the situation here. So, Indianapolis only laying two and a half here this week, and yet something about that line doesn't smell right to me. I lean Chicago. I think you get a one game bump uh, with Foles. Uh, some excitement. I'm not buying Chicago long term, but I would lean them in this way. But you're right. I still think they're fraudulent. Not only what's happened, I mean, they're the first team in the history of the NFL to have two come-from-behind wins in the fourth quarter of 16 points. And, hell, they did it two times in a matter of three weeks, and nobody had ever done it in a full season before. So, I mean, the fact that they've played at teams that are combined 1-8 and eight, and the way the game flow, fraudulent. Indianapolis, I mean, looks okay. I mean, looks good. Box scores look dominant. Defense is number one in the NFL. But they haven't played anybody either. Uh, I mean, their teams are combined one and eight. So I would just lean Chicago. Here's what I did play, and I really like. I like under. I mean, Indianapolis does have a decent defense. you got to give them credit. I mean, you can only play the teams in front of you, but they've been relatively consistent. I mean, Chicago, there's been a lot of that late scoring in the fourth quarter of their games. I think some of that you could take out. So. Uh, and then maybe some weather. Uh, I was tipped off by a couple guys that uh, that's all they do is study weather. Uh, under, I think, is pretty good here. And I bet it, and I released it. All right, so we'll do a highlight video breakdown here of game 273-274 between New England and Kansas City. Kansas City laying a touchdown total 53 in this game. And you know, this is the, the marquee game of week four, I would say. And you've got such an interesting scenario here because Kansas City just completely dismantled arguably the best team in the AFC in Baltimore. And now Kansas City probably leapfrogs Baltimore in the minds of anybody who was either undecided or liked the Ravens a little bit more. They just played a team where you want to try to contain the quarterback, where you want to try and keep that guy in the pocket in uh, Lamar Jackson. Now you get Cam Newton. So Kansas City... Do they really have to change anything with the game plan this week? And does that help them covering as a touchdown favorite? Now, did you bury the lead? Didn't we do a highlight video on that Ravens-Chiefs game? We did. And as I recall, I was on the Chiefs. You were. You were on the Ravens. I was. I know it's your show, but I just want to you know, put that out there. That's for fine. Every, everybody watching and, and listening to this. I mean, I was on the Chiefs, obviously. Good bet. Or whatever. I'm against the Chiefs. I know it's so tough to go against a team that was so dominant against a really good Baltimore team that I think, you know, player for player might have the deepest roster. But I would be kicking myself all season if I didn't take Bill Belichick in a role that's only happened now three times, counting this game, three times in the last 18 years, and that's Bill Belichick getting a touchdown. It's only happened two other times. Of course he covered and both of those, I, I got to take the full touchdown here. And I do, I think New England's really good. And I think, you know, I think people are starting to, to see it a little bit more now. Uh, but I'm wondering, I think one yard is changing their entire perception. What would the perception, would this line be seven if they gain one extra yard and win the game against Seattle and Cam Newton scores a touchdown? I don't think it's seven. I think it's, it's six, six and a half. 
So I'll play on that one yard, which I played the last week in a really good spot for him. And with Kansas City off a big marquee game with one day less to prep, I'm going to take New England, and I also lean under. I think they run the damn football, keep Mahomes off the field, similar to what we saw the Colts do last year against the Chiefs. And I think New England's capable of running the ball. He's ran for 250 yards in an NFL game last week. So I think there's correlation here, New England and under. I like it. Are you sprinkling the money line too? I am a little bit. Man, boy. I, I Look, I love Mahomes and Reed. I mean, what, it's now 12 straight wins, 11 covers. Should not be happening for a team as high profile as the Chiefs. But I, I, I love Belichick. Belichick to me is, I mean, that's just like going back home. I just, I mean, 17 years of consistent winning, covering in an historic role. I got to take the full touchdown. And then, I mean, of course, what will happen is, you know, it'll look good early. And Mahomes, two, three quick touchdowns. Boom, bang, it's 38-21. I lose both bets. What is what is your criteria for sprinkling the money line in the NFL? I mean, do, do you always do it with a dog that you like? Or is it just uh... in certain situations? Yeah, obviously dogs I like in the field goal range, I do it, you know, quite a bit. Uh, touchdown dogs, not not as much in this instance where I think there could be some variance here. And it is, you know, betting someone that, that's very trustworthy, in my opinion, Belichick, I'm more prone to do it. But typically I'm not betting money line on a lot of my touchdown plus dogs that I bet. Well, good thoughts there on this game from professional better and handicapper Brad Powers and always good thoughts on our ATS YouTube page and very good thoughts on ATS radio as well. We encourage you to subscribe to that wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, Brad, before we finish up today's show, anything else in the NFL you want to touch on? Ooh, uh, I thought it was a tough, I mean, you and I talked before, but it's a tough week, I think, this week. I, I struggled a little bit, uh, both college and pro. One I do really like, and I, I'm, look, I'm a man of the people. I mean, you guys want picks. I'll give you picks. I like them. My favorite play in the NFL this week is Miami against Seattle. I mean, you're going to lay a tut near a full touchdown on the road with the worst defense as far as giving up yards per game in the entire NFL in a bad spot off two primetime marquee wins over New England and Dallas, flying across the country, 10 a.m. Pacific start time against a Miami team that I think is okay. I mean, they proved it last week in the road win against Jacksonville. Extra time to prepare for them. fits. I think it's not fits tragic. It fits magic. You're talking about me sprinkling on the money line. I would not be stunned. Forget the plus six and a half. I wouldn't be stunned. Miami shocks the world, not me, the world. Miami, I'll ride over the Seahawks. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but did you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard? <laughs> yeah. You I knew that? So I... yeah. <laughs> 15 years. One thing I will say here is that it looks like there's uh, wind and rain in the forecast on Sunday down in Miami. So we'll see if that winds That's up another having... positive for me. I mean, what? I mean, Russell Wilson, come on. He can't be on. Can he be on like that every game? I don't know. He's maybe. great. Ask Sierra. Sierra will tell you. Right. <laughs> Touche. I, I don't – I mean, that's the thing, right? I, you know, you start talking about these guys that set the bar really effing high, and they do it week after week, and, and you do wonder. I mean, at some point, that guy's got to have a game that's kind of pedestrian, right? Maybe it's this one. He you can't know, throw and... five touchdown passes. That we never see him. Maybe he can. But, I mean, 
I think he's due for a two touchdown pass game instead of a five. And if nothing else, if you're worried about the full game, and maybe Seattle starts faster, but again, early kickoff, so that is a concern. It's going to be the mid-80s and humid, and that's not a situation Seattle's all that accustomed to either. No. So I like it. Yeah, I like it too. I All right, let me ask you real quickly about a, a couple of these games here because we've got two 13-point yeah. underdogs in the NFL this week. Baltimore-Washington, Giants on the road at the Rams. 13 is a really large number in the NFL, and I have no interest in either one of them. So I'm glad you asked this question. And we didn't even prepare for this. So this is me already thinking. I'm like, you know, historically, it is a loser. Double-digit road favorites. So we're talking a Baltimore game in this instance. Double-digit road favorites, long-time loser in the NFL, 47% since 1989. Not the case the last four years. 16-2 and two against the spread the last four years. And I mean winning these games by 23 points per game, covering by 11 points per game. They've won 18 in a row, 16-2 and two against the spread. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to bet Baltimore, but because of that, the way that trend line's going, and I know it's a smaller sample size, but again, with more plays, more analytics, uh, and I think Baltimore coming off a loss, I'm not betting Washington. The Rams, it's just not double-digit road favorites. It's double digits everywhere, and, you know, you go the last six years, 62% double-digit favorites in the NFL. I mean, I, normally it's always dog or pass. I'm not, I'm no longer dog or pass. It's mainly just pass for me when it comes to these. I should be betting the favorite. I guess the one caveat I would throw on that is that a lot of those are probably late in the season where teams are, you know, kind of folding it mm, in a little bit. Point. But but also, too, I mean, I think Washington battles. I, the Giants, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the hell they do the rest of the year without Saquon Barkley. I bet them last week. That, them, I mean, that was so good. You mean, weren't the only one. A preseason team. A preseason. The 49ers tried out a preseason team and whipped their ass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how you trust the Giants here this week. But, again, a 13's a, a pretty massive number there for a Rams team. Not in a real great spot either. You know, coming off of losing a game that they probably shouldn't have. That P.I. call was very iffy against Buffalo, the big comeback in the second half. Now they go back home in a spot where they're supposed to roll. Sometimes, you know, it, it's hard when you're supposed to beat a team by margin to get up for that game. Yep. So we'll see if the Rams are able to do that in that one, in that new SoFi Stadium, which, by the way, looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and I can't wait to see some bigger events there uh, down the line in that stadium and also see, you know, fans at, at things again. But in any event... Professional handicapper and better Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. What's going on over at the website right now, buddy? Talk about it each week. It's my newsletter. Game write-ups, every single college game, every single NFL game. I I always say this, and I'll say this to the day I die. Buy it for the info, not for the picks, but I get it. Everybody wants picks. Picks are winning. 10 and 6, 62.5%. I mean, that doesn't sound great. It's a short sample size, but, I mean, 57% over six years, that's not too bad. I wish I put a hell of a lot more money on all these games. If I had to do it, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I would have done it. But, again, buy for the info, not for the picks. Power rings, write-ups, college, pro. Get it now, 79 bucks for the entire season, college and pro. Over at bradpowersports.com. And make sure you follow Brad on Twitter, at Brad Powers and the number seven. By the way, I don't know how many people do this, but you can follow me on Twitter, too, at Skating Tripods. But, Brad, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. And uh, the headset looks good on you, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, buddy. There you go. There's professional handicapper and better Brad Powers 
from bradpowersports.com. I'll be back on Friday with my picks, if I can figure out five of them, for week four in the Circus Sports Million. Nine, five, and one to start the year. And uh, coming off of a disappointing two and three week, hopefully get a bounce back here in week four. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.